Greetings to listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investings, podcast number 144 on November 30th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. In today's podcast, I'll be answering four interesting investment questions. The objective of my books, my website, and my podcasts are to show all those seeking financial independence how to become informed, confident, successful, self-directed investors. Question number one. Why do you not invest in mutual funds, index funds, or ETFs? I do not buy anything that I cannot easily analyze its strength and its return on my investment. This excludes mutual funds, index funds, and ETFs controlled not by me, but by fund managers with their own agendas, motivations, and management fees. Some investors treat the stock market like a casino. They are called speculators. They win and lose fortunes. No matter how much they might acquire, it is never enough to satisfy their lust for money. They get a rush from the risk. Over time, I'm told, 90% of speculators lose money. Getting the timing of buying and selling of shares right is almost impossible. A few investors treat the stock market like a bank. They carefully invest their money in the shares of 20 to 30 financially strong, long-established companies who have paid high dividends for decades or more. They expect to earn a regular dividend income the same as they would also expect to get regular interest in a savings account. However, their dividend return can be 20 times greater than they would ever get from a savings account, which is why it is in stocks and not in savings accounts. They have no intention of ever selling a stock and taking a profit. This restraint removes much of the stress from investing. They get no rush when the dividend payments come in or when their share prices double or even triple in value. It is a ho-hum occurrence when a share price drops below the price they purchase it at. Since they are living off their dividends, they do not need to sell shares to pay their living expenses. They anticipate that share prices will recover at some point, as they always have for decades. If a share does not recover, the increases in most of their other shares would offset any loss. The gyrations of the stock market are only of passing interest. To them, a stock is like their real estate investments. They expect both 
to increase in value over the decades. Such investors are not trying to become rich or even appear to be rich. They see investing as preserving their wealth for future generations, just like it would save for them. For some detailed insights into scoring and analyzing and finding strong dividend stocks, go to www.informus.ca. Question number two. Are bear markets the costliest things about investing in stocks? The price of stocks rise and fall. That is natural. A bear market is one where over several days the directions of shares being traded on the stock market are being bought on average at a lower price than they were previously. Does this mean that every share traded in a bear market is trending downwards? No, it does not. In 20 years, I have looked at trading directions in the stock market daily. I have never seen a day where every stock in the stock market sold at a price lower than the previous day. Some stocks increase when most other stocks decrease in a bear market. For example, speculators will switch to dividend-paying stocks for protection in a bear market because their prices are steadier. Speculators control the direction of share prices. Optimists think the share price of a stock is going to increase. Pessimists think the share price of a stock is going to decrease. The optimist bids a low price to acquire the stock from the pessimist, whose objective is to get the highest price for the stock. Only when their bids match does a transfer of stock ownership take place. With millions of shares being traded in a day by hundreds of thousands of speculators trying to predict whether pessimists or optimists are most often able to get the price they seek is impossible to predict. All you know is that at the end of the day, the average price for all stocks was higher or lower than the day before. Often, you will see the stock market going up or down for several days before there is either a rally, which sends prices up, or a correction, which sends the average price of the stocks down. If you are a buying speculator, you might wait until the prices fell in a bear market before you entered a bid high enough to acquire the stock. The only problem is that the share price could continue to fall for several more days, weeks, months, even years. If your intention was to buy low and quickly sell the stock at a higher price to realize a profit, you may quickly be reminded that you do not control the direction of stock prices. 
Speculators base their buying and selling on rumors, tips, stock price histories, analysis predictions, and their need for cash. No one can accurately predict the future. Therefore, sometimes their stock purchase will go where they think it might go, and sometimes they will not. I am told 90% of all speculators lose money over time. There are some investors who are not concerned about share price fluctuations. They are only interested in buying stocks whose share prices and dividend payouts have risen steadily, not dramatically, over the last 20 years. They live off their dividend payments and have no intention of ever selling their financially strong income stocks. The easiest way to identify financially strong stocks is by their historical dividend payouts, which are paid out of profits. To further protect their income, they invest equally, not in one financially strong dividend-paying company, but 20 to 30 of them. They, too, cannot predict the future, but by diversifying their portfolio, they know the odds are more than one or two of such companies not paying their reliable dividends is very small. Since they live off their dividends, they, unlike speculators, don't really pay much attention to share prices. They can see from the available financial information that the management of the companies are making the decisions to increase dividend payouts annually. They can also see how when company revenues are down, these companies cut expenses so their profit objectives can be achieved, so the expected dividend can still be paid to shareholders. Thus, bear markets are of benefit to these investors because they can buy more dividend shares in a bear market than in a bull market of inflated share prices. They are buying future income at bargain prices. Question number three. Can a small-time investor get rich quickly in the stock market? Anything is possible. But your question has two variables that need to be clarified. How small is the amount the small-time investor going to invest? A 10% return on a $100 investment is a return of $10. That is not a rich return. However, a 10% return or $100,000 on a million dollars might be a rich return to some investors. A $500,000 return or 50% would be even better. $10,000 invested in Amazon 30 years ago would now be worth millions. But that 
is not getting rich quickly. That raises the question of how quick is quick. Getting rich quick is the objective of speculators. It is recognized that almost all speculators lose money over time. Any big wins they realize convince them that they have the Midas touch and cannot lose. They continue to invest in speculative stocks until their losses bring them back to reality. The stock market is not a casino. If you treat it like a casino, you will get the same results as you get in a casino. Yes, some people do win multi-million dollar lotteries by investing in a $5 lottery ticket. However, recognize that casinos and lotteries are created to make money for the casino and lottery operators, not the millions of players trying to get rich. Successful investing in the stock market requires patience, persistence, and the ability to select financially strong companies whose products or services will be in demand for decades. Companies are not mindless blobs floating aimlessly in a commercial sea. There are human beings making decisions that will increase revenues and control expenses so a profit can be realized. Companies without profits soon become bankrupt and investors lose all their money. What you are really investing in when you purchase shares in a company is the skills and the experience of its management. When companies are setting their profit objectives for the next year, they look at historical trends. Then they must take chances and invest in new ways of doing things. Otherwise, they will get the same results they got the year before. There is no guarantee that whatever new thing they do will give them the results they plan to get. You, as a shareholder, are just along for the ride. If you invest in a well-run company, you should expect your share price and dividend income to rise, not quickly or greatly, but in a reasonable manner. Your objective should be one of preserving your wealth, not one of getting rich quickly. I realize an annual dividend income between 6% and 9% of my carefully selected portfolio while also seeing the average increase for the shares in it increase most years, not every year, by 12% or more. Seeing my portfolio double in value in less than five years is not unusual. Is this fast enough and rich enough for you? Or did you expect results like this within months? Question number four. Should a financial advisor 
communicate openly with a client before billing them for services. No one likes surprises. You would think that companies would go out of their way to be as transparent as possible. Their objective should be to retain their customers, not lose them through some oversight or misunderstanding. However, it seems in the investment industry, automobile repair shops, and cable television services that they go out of their way to bury their charges and hope they can slip them by you, hoping that you're either too stupid, too lazy, or too intimidated to look closely at what you are paying for. In my first investment book, Income and Wealth from Self-Directed Investing, I tell the sad story of an 80-year-old widow wondering whether her million-dollar portfolio would last her for the rest of her life. An investment advisor was managing her wealth. It was her sole source of income. A shrinking investment portfolio had left her with the fear that she would outlive her investment and become penniless. It had lost $300,000. Her dream of passing an inheritance onto her children and grandchildren seemed to be in jeopardy. She asked me if it was normal for an investment portfolio to shrink every year and whether her modest income would continue if she lived to be in her 90s. After looking at her monthly statements, I asked her why the investment advisor had put most of her money into low-interest bonds, preferred shares, and mutual funds. She responded she did not know and had never paid attention to what he was doing with her money. All she had ever looked for was the total amount of her portfolio. A few days later, she reported that the investment advisor's annual fee of 1% of her portfolio's value was in closer inspection, almost 2%. She had not realized that she was paying additional transaction fees every month. Her investment advisor was putting through more investment transactions in a month than I would probably put through in 10 years. I looked at her full-service investment contract. It was written in the smallest font and displayed in such a compressed format that it was almost impossible to read. Could it be that they really do not want you to read it? The following is just a sampling from a major bank's full-service agreement contract. Fees you are paid. The operating and transaction fees charged directly to you for the operation management transactions related to your account. In some cases, fees may be collected from your account on behalf of a third party. Operating fees, including custody fees, interest charges on debt balances, and fees for managed and fee-based programs are outlined in your fee agreement with us. For debt securities purchased or sold for you during the period covered by this report, dealer firm remuneration may have been added to the price you paid in the case of a purchase or deducted from the price you received in the case of a sale. This amount may have been in addition to any commissions you may have been charged. 
foreign transaction tax. A foreign transaction tax may be applied to a transaction when a security is purchased or sold on a foreign exchange. Payments received from third parties. We may receive compensation or earned revenue and other forms in addition to or in substitution for direct payments by you. These fees may include issuer commission, refers to a commission received from the issuer of a security purchased in your account. These may include new issue securities, GICs, federal and provincial savings bonds, and or structured notes. Investment funds pay investment fund managers a fee for managing their fund, and we receive an ongoing payment from the manager for the service and advice we provide you. The amount of the trailing commission depends on the sales charge option you chose when you purchased the fund. You are not directly charged the trailing commission or the management fee. However, these fees affect the performance of the fund. And so on. Are you guilty of not looking very closely at your investment agreement? Perhaps you should. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Music